Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the program. We are live, as usual, from Blast Off Productions here in New York City, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. At this hour, Madonna has lost nearly a three-year-old battle against her Manhattan co-op over a rule uh, that requires her to be physically present in the $7.3 million apartment when her family, members, or staff are there. The Queen of Pops sued Harperley Hall on West 64th Street in Central Park West in April of 2016, two years after the board changed the building rules to say that her children and domestic help cannot live in the unit unless she herself is in residence at the time. I will ask the panel to weigh in on this and also talk about some other co-op rules. Also at this hour, behind the market uncertainty are several factors, including rising mortgage rates, which have rap- been rapidly uh, rising uh, throughout the last several years and continue to climb towards levels similar to the 2008 housing crisis, uh, and also the influence of a federal tax overhaul that gutted property tax deductions for many. How can these factors be overcome, we will get at it. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. This is the Voice America Talk Radio Network. I'm Vince Rocco, and again, you're listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, Related Companies Chairman Stephen Ross bought a $6.9 million condominium on the fifth floor of a Tribeca development, one of his, uh, this according to City Property Records. The deal comes on the heels of a series of high-profile sales at 70 Vestry Street, in October, a unit Tom Brady had reportedly been looking at sold for $25.5 million, but not to Tom Brady. Film producer Jack Heller picked up an $18.8 million apartment, and last year, the firm found buyers for its $50 million and $65 million penthouses. The Robert A.M. Stern Design Building includes 47 units, an 82-foot swimming pool, and a swash court related, which is marketing the condos in partnership with the Corcoran Sunshine Group, bought the site from Ponte Equities in 2014 for $115 million. Shonda Rhimes, the powerhouse writer-producer behind the TV hits like Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder, and Grey's Anatomy, dropped $11.75 million on a penthouse at 765 Park Avenue, according to a city filing. The unit was first listed in March of $14.75 million before being slashed to $12.5 million. In June, the 48-unit White Glove Co-op was built in 1927 and designed by the famed architect Rosario Candela. Fashion designer Ralph Lauren is in contract to buy an oceanfront home in Montauk. The property at 320 Old Montauk Highway belonged to the late playwright Edward Albee, the Wall Street Journal reports. Lauren already owns homes on both sides of this property. The property was asking $20 million, not sure of the actual close price. Albany bought his Montauk um, um, property in the 1960s. After the success of his play, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? He lived there part-time until his death in 2016. That was a great play. As Amazon uh, plans to site a major new campus in Long Island City, its CEO and world's richest human, Jeff Bezos, is already no stranger to New York City real estate. In 1999, when Amazon was just an online bookseller, Bezos bought a pied-à-terre near Lincoln Center. Located in an Art Deco luxury condo called The Century at 25 Century Park West, his three-bedroom uh, unit spread was uh, purchased from former Sony Music CEO Tommy Mottola, who lost interest in plans to renovate the 4,400-square-foot duplex. That led 
Matola to sell, and Bezos snapped it up for $7.65 million. The property consisted of a duplex on floors 19 and 20, plus an adjacent unit on the 20th floor. Bezos planned to use it as a pied-à-terre for himself and his wife, as well, of his pa- as well as his parents. It's unclear whether he followed through, though, on Matola's plan to combine the duplex with the additional apartment. What we do know is that in 2012, he spent another $5.3 million for a fourth uh, floor unit on the 19th floor. I'm sorry, a fourth unit on the 19th floor at the Century, enlarging his footprint in the building by an additional 1,725 feet. Bezos' long-standing base in Manhattan may not prove convenient to Amazon's new home in Long Island City. Plans for the LIC site do include a helipad, despite a citywide ban on rooftop yes. helipads <laughs> since September all right. 11th. I'm all for it. Why not? Just do it. Go for it. Now we'll travel there. Correct. Well, like wait a minute, it. but but given the fact that the Sentry building that he currently lives in that I just talked about doesn't have a roof deck or a helipad on top of it, it's unlikely Bezos will be coptering off to work there. So, what's he going to do? Maybe he'll be a real New Yorker and take the subway. Maybe. Coming in from Teterboro. Or maybe he'll sell it and buy something else closer or whatever. Let's see about that. I've actually lived in that building, the Sentry, when, when he was there and also when Tommy Matola was there, and I remember seeing them both pretty often. Bono was also there. So that's quite a building, and I and I uh, really enjoyed living there. Anyway, my special guest today is Ann Cutbillanane. With over 35 years of experience, she is the consummate professional and has sold well over $1 billion worth of real estate. I love saying that. $1 billion worth go. of... Yeah, that's <laughs> well, just in the last few years alone. In the last two years alone. There you have it. <laughs> so what's the goal? You know, another... <laughs> She is at Douglas Elliman. She's the number one West Side agent for over the, oh, 04 over the past 15 years and has consistently ranked as one of the top 10 teams company-wide. She is also one of the highest-grossing real estate brokers in the country and was honored with Elliman's prestigious 2014 Team Player Award for her humanitarian work, which is really a great thing that she does, and committed to her company. And is regularly quoted in the country's most prestigious publications, such as the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, she has been featured on national and international television programs such as the Nightly Business Report, NBC's Open House, NYC, CBS's Living Large, and China's Central TV. She's also appeared on The Real Housewives of New York with Luann. <laughs> uh, all right, that's a, Forget all this other stuff. There you go. And I've seen it uh, in New York and multiple episodes of HGTV's top-rated show, Selling New York. She's here with us today. Good morning, and thank you for being with us. So um, let's get right at it. Uh, hidden inside New York City's uh, largest skyscrapers and low rises are architectural gems uh, carefully protected and preserved by dedicated patrons. A new book called Interior Landmarks, Treasures of, Treasures of New York aims to raise awareness of those spaces, encourage anticipation of their art and design by offering glimpses of the 46 spaces recognized by the Landmarks Preservation Commission. As lovely as they look in photographs, there's nothing like standing inside a spectacular interior and experiencing in experiencing it in person, said the authors Judith Guerra and Kate Wood. So what are your thoughts on, on, you know, we all deal with these older buildings in New York, some are landmarks, some are not. Sometimes the outside of these buildings are not so grand looking because they're landmarked and you really can't touch them. But once you go inside, they're grand and spectacular and large. And what, what's what's the thought behind you know, why people are so taken with the interiors of these homes. And does that play in a world, my question, of brand new, super slick, first time, glass tower, you know, uncharacter sort of 
places. I mean, what's what's the what's the deal with that? Well, you mentioned the Century, and that's one of my favorite to walk into. Um, Grand it, lobby, one million dollar renovation for that lobby years and ago, and it's gorgeous. You know, you you you're it's a you're stepping back in time. It's like walking into uh, the lobby at Rockefeller Center or any of those. You know, you can almost hear like the 1950s. And here we are in the lobby of the 19. You know, it's like, and you 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 just uh, step back in time. I think yeah. there is charm there that people really appreciate. But some of these older places, they're the museum-like, and you walk in, and it's like you just look at the structure and you look at the architecture inside. And does it really appeal to um, more people than not? I mean, because I think this is a town where we're split between old and very brand new and very slick and very shiny and glassy and all that stuff. How much does it really appeal to people? New is you new do a lot of, for you, now. You, you do a lot of work, and in a lot of these older buildings, and the San Remo, for example, on Central Park West. And so what, I mean, when you get customers coming through there, what are their thoughts? You know, when so much of New York has been um, you know, carefully maintained in terms of landmarking, we also have those skyscrapers. We, I find the, fi- the foreign buyers are drawn towards the newer construction. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you have these old world details, those are, there's only a finite amount of them, and we have to keep them in order to maintain the beauty and the soul of our city. So we're always going to have these new high rises. And when you buy a piece of new real estate and it's brand new and shiny today, 10 years from now, five years from now, two years from now, there's going to be another new and shiny piece of real estate. So people are drawn to those beautiful details. I think they are timeless. They need to be maintained. The difficulty comes about if you're tying somebody's hands when something's not so attractive and what they're able to do. Um, if, you know, so that, that, that's where I have kind of a, a tough time with landmarks. Windowed air conditioners, for instance, when they say you can't pierce the facade of an exterior of the building because it's landmark. But isn't it uglier to have a window air conditioner? I mean, it, it, so sometimes it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And sometimes with Stoops, I remember um, listing a townhouse on the Upper West Side years ago. And th- years ago, they had removed the stoop. And then the, the new owner wanted to put the stoop back as he was renovating the entire house. And it took months, almost eight months, to get approval from Landmarks to put the stoop back. And I kept saying, but it used to be there. Right. And it's not something that they're adding to it. It used to be there. It was part of the original you know, landmark, whatever, but eight months to get it back. So, I mean, that's it, odd that New York bureaucracy takes, you know, usually you get an answer within 24 hours. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Yeah. From your that's broker. Really kind of from your broker, maybe. <laughs> right. The broker says, I'm Just sure you can do it. No problem. <laughs> it used to be there before. Who cares, right? That's the broker, but not, not really going to work. And we, we talked about this last week, and your points were exactly what we mentioned last week that there, you know, the, the new buildings, there's always going to be something newer. And in two years, that new building that you just purchased in is now going to be older compared to the new product that comes out. And there's the, there are those people who really want to be the first-time occupant of an apartment. And a lot of foreign folks like higher floors, much bigger views, and much bigger sunlight, so they will migrate more towards those. But I'm from the old-school world in New York City that I love my pre-war. You're not going to take it away from me, and I like looking at my beams and my smaller windows and whatever else. That's to me, to me rather. That's the charm of living in a very old city like New York. Right, but one of the things that we push back on is the wet over dry scenario. So, yeah. for those of us that don't live in New York City, if you've got a footprint of a small bathroom, co-op board will usually dictate that you can't expand it, you can't right. make it wider. So, kind of details like that, 
where you want to maintain the integrity of the old world details, but you want to live in a modern day kind of, you know, more comfortable lifestyle by having something that's a little larger. That's where those co-op rules really come into affecting the resale values. You've got all this old world detail, but yet you've got this tiny little bathroom and people are not really wanting to do that anymore. And sometimes mm-hmm. smaller kitchens too, where you want to enlarge them and you really can only do certain things. Or a washer dryer. A washer dryer for right? sure. Well, for my building won't allow it. An right. old pre-war building, even when you renovate, you can't put it in. we got to leave it there. When we come back, we're going to talk about Madonna and we're going to talk about a lot of co-op rules. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with Ann Couple Lenane from Douglas Elliman, Sean Atterbury from CORE, Sean McPeak from Halstead, Ari Harkov from Halstead, uh, and Niall Lundgren from Compass. All right, we started with Madonna at the top of the show. So she has recently lost a nearly three-year battle, legal battle, against her Manhattan co-op on the Upper West Side in Manhattan over a rule that requires her to be physically present in her apartment, which has been valued at $7.3 million, when any of her um, family members, her children mostly, and her staff are there. So they're there. They want her to be in residence. If she's not in residence, it needs to be empty. So the Queen of Pop sued that building on West 64th Street in Central Park West two years ago. And uh, the, after the board changed the building's rules to say that her children and domestic help cannot live there unless she's there at the time. She argued in court papers that she is a world-renowned recording artist, performer, and singer who is constantly running around the world like we don't know who Madonna is, right? And <laughs> as we Just will, FYI. Yeah, just <laughs> FYI. And then the co-op board is like, okay, next. Uh, so she wanted them to, to grant a waiver to, you know, let her be special, but they said no. In Manhattan Supreme Court, uh, the justice was not amused. His fur- he first ruled in 2017 that she missed a legal deadline to challenge the rule. The board 
characterized her new demand by uh, for additional documentation as merely uh, fishing for materials in an in attempt to substantiate an otherwise time or challenge to board action affecting personal interest. And they already had given her the documents that she's requested. So people say, what's, I mean, what's next? And so my question is, why is the ruling here important? And please explain why the board has the right to make these rules and enforce these rules in a building. I mean, we all understand here what co-ops are about in New York City, but people around the world may not understand that we have very stringent, strict rules here and even Madonna can't get around them and say, I want to do what I want to do. Well, if we remember, actually, Madonna had applied in the height of her stardom to the San Remo when it was turned down. So that uh, that began her drama with the co-op boards. Correct. <clears throat> yeah, at that point, you move on to condos. And here we are a decade <laughs> and a half later, and Material she's still girl. fighting Material with it. Material girl yeah. went fee simple. Yeah. Well, listen. It, 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 it's always it always <laughs> simple. Yeah, be simple. <laughs> it always it always amazes me how when they want to do things and they realize that co-ops are very restrictive, but yet they want to continue to look. I mean, I think so many uh, stars have had that issue with co-ops for a whole variety of reasons. I remember living at the Century when uh, President Clinton was coming off of his term, and he and Hillary were looking for an apartment in that building, and they were abs- actually whispered. People whispered in their rear saying, uh, we don't really want them here or we don't really want you here because it's a condo. They, they can't be turned down. But they really kind of dissuaded them because they didn't want the paparazzi hanging around the building 24 by 7. I was living there. I remember all the scuttlebutt in the lobby. And it was like, who cares? You know? Yeah. The, the Madonna story kind of reads like uh, the policy was a reaction to whoever was using well, her well, her two kids or three kids, and the the I guess her living. She's got three townhouses on the east side. Why does right. the help need to live across town? I don't that, understand. That's probably that. like her closet. Well, well, but let's expand upon more than just Madonna. So, why do co ops in general have these rules? Condos, you can pretty much do anything you want to do, but in a co op, if con- you don't live there, you've got a problem. Those do have a fair amount of rules. And in fact, you know, we're now submitting board packages to condominiums that are really as thick and as invasive as co-op. I know. I mm-hmm. saw but, one yesterday that I'm doing. Right. It's unbelievable right. what they're asking but for. But the, the flip side of that is that there's the only way to turn you down is for the condo to actually purchase it. So if you have a buyer that's going in there and you don't want them, the condo has to buy it for the purchase price right. that they were going to, uh, to to buy it from. So there's no loss for the owner. Um, there has to be there have to be rules. Um, you you can't go ahead and barbecue in the hallways. You can you know, but there are crazy rules. Um, I don't think that that's a crazy rule. If you buy an apartment and you say you're going to be the resident and you're no longer the resident, then it's kind of off the table. But there are things that are making co-op ownership, prices of co-op ownership, decrease um, because ownership in a condo is a lower point of entry and it, it enables you to purchase it let's say in a trust or an LLC you're able to not have to disclose everything but also restrictive um, in terms of let's say a summer work rule um, this is something that is so foreign to even people that are living just outside of the city but there are buildings especially on 5th and Park Avenue where you can only renovate your apartment during two or three months in the summer so if you have a large apartment there's actually no way for you to do it that year. It sometimes will take 
two and three and four years to actually renovate your apartment. To me, that that almost makes the apartment unsaleable. And when you have new construction or apartments that you don't have to do renovation for, decreases the values of those apartments, those grand state apartments, to a huge discount. I mean, who wants to do that? Who has the financial wherewithal to do that? Mm-hmm. Correct. I mean, there are there are there are buildings for certain people, and there are buildings not for certain people. I mean, you have to understand actually what you're getting involved in. And a lot of people who start out thinking they want to buy a co-op, I think, because the price differential is is sometimes great. It's a lot less expensive than a condo these days. But they don't understand the rules, and they don't understand that you just can't do what you want to do. People say, "Well, I want to just buy it part time, or I really want to kind of buy it, use it every once in a while, but have my kids use it when they're in the city." absolute big no-no with co-op boards and they will never be approved by them for those reasons. A condo that you can't really specify, yes, they have house rules and yes, their board packages are getting more crazy by the week, by the year, but but those rules don't really exist in condominiums. So you've got to be careful in and understand what your lifestyle is or why you want these apartments before you actually decide it's co-op or it's condo. I've always personally said I prefer co-ops because I want to know who my neighbors are. I don't want transient people in and out in kind of, especially in larger buildings where you don't know from month to month sometimes who who your neighbors are going to be. But but that's I think that I don't think that that's the reality of it. A condo board requires a lot of documentation, reference letters, tax returns. You do know who your neighbors are. There's restrictions on how long that you can rent it and how right. short term. Usually you have to rent it for a minimum of a year. So I mean, I, I, it's not like you're going to have the drug cartel living, living next to you. Um, if if a rule, I think, is going to devalue any building, condo or co-op, boards need to really take a look at that. Because if it if it gets so restrictive and all of a sudden you're, you're saying, okay, well, you're devaluing this apartment and the entire building, you know, we really need to take a look at that. that then it just hurts everybody. Hmm. Yeah, I, but I think it's, it's one of the things that we're seeing in the city right now is the spread between co-ops and condos continues to grow. And con co-ops are not keeping pace with the appreciation and inflation and prices of condos. And a lot of particularly younger buyers, many of whom we work with, don't want to buy in co-ops anymore. They don't want the invasive process. They don't want someone telling them they can't put whatever dry. They can't mix in their kitchen. Absolutely. They can't have their friends it. staying yeah. with them. They can't rent Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Um, and so I think there's there's this fine line between passing rules and regulations that are of um, uh, you know good mind and, and, and good conscience for the building and devaluing the properties and overall creating a system whereby you have 60% of the housing stock in the city dropping in value and not maintaining pace with the overall market. By the way, if you look at the city right now, no one's building new co-ops. Exactly. There's no such thing no. as a new development co-op. No. No. There are a few condops on land leases that function as condos, but there's no such thing as a new co-op, which tells you what's in vogue and what buyers want. Uh, I like how you brought it back to Madonna there by bringing yeah. Vogue. Vogue. <laughs> Vogue. You like that, huh? Being in Vogue. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> it's full circle. What can I do? Full circle. And so when you start out with a new buyer, are they typically co-op buyers or condo buyers? I mean, you've got well, a pretty large business. So where where do you focus or spend most of your time based on how your buyers are driving you? You must educate your buyer. So I had somebody that came to me and said they wanted a pre-war and they wanted to be on Central Park West. That's going to you know, really kind of guide them most of the time to a yeah. co-op. Uh, and then when you ask a few more questions, the the money was being given to her. Uh, there was going to be a gifting at first. That's what it was told to me to uh, buy a family member. And then, you know, explaining that when somebody gifts you money, um, first of all, that may or may not be okay with a co-op board. 
And also there's tax ramifications. She just thought that her family member was going to give her a very big chunk of cash. And then it turns out that there was going to be a huge amount of money that they'd have to pay on that. So the way that they were able to function was they were, they were able to move ahead with the purchase because they bought a condo. They set up an LLC. They both put money into it. There were no tax ramifications for the gifting. And ultimately, it will end up being her apartment. But they'll own, they'll own it together. You can't do that with most co-ops. So I think all of us as brokers um, really need to sit down with as many co-op board presidents and co-op boards to explain if you are less restrictive, it doesn't mean that you're going to be decreasing the values, which being on a co-op is being on a board of anything is really kind of a thankless job. Mm-hmm. And I think their idea is the more exclusive that they are, the more restricted that they are, that it actually will raise the prices. And it's the opposite. I, I, I agree. We've had a couple of other folks on the show recently who said the same thing. It's 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 the way we educate our buyers and, and sellers sometimes. We also need to, if we have the opportunity start educating or continue to educate the board members if we have that that availability or that access because you're right you know it doesn't mean you're going to diminish you know the quality of people coming into the building but they need to relax a little bit and change their rules because uh, it only I believe you know uh, lifts the building up and 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 makes it present itself better to people out there not everyone is going to be qualified to live in a co-op right. I mean that's just the way it is but uh, there are far more people who can live in them if the boards just relax a little bit and chill a little bit, I mean, it's a it's a grueling process. And I think we can all agree that nowhere else <clears throat> in this country uh, is the process of buying a home as difficult as here. I mean, it's right. just incredible sometimes. And you just have to keep explaining to the buyer, I know it's not about you being able to afford it. It's not about your ability to pay. It's about the the kind of the... I mean, what? How? What are the? What, what's the words for it? I mean, entire it's picture. They look at the. No, it's it's not about being want, qualified. It's about just a snob appeal. It's a snob appeal. It's a snob well, appeal. Well, I mean, why do you need interview? two times liquid the purchase price? It's, That's it's, ridiculous. It's many appeal, many board members wants. would not pass their own boards. There's no oh, most. Right, most of people can't buy that. But what about some of those buildings that you sell in that are fifty percent? Uh, a cash or finance allowed or 100%. You can't even get in right. if you don't pay 100% of the <laughs> cash. And oh, by the way, it, has to, it, you, it can't be at a pied-a-terre. And a pied-a-terre, no, meaning not. that it has to be your primary residence. Right. I mean, look at yeah, look at like the, look at the co-op market at, at the entry level. Studios, one bedrooms. East side of Manhattan, you can buy a studio one-bedroom co-op for five dollars $600,000. That same apartment in a condo in Queens is $900,000. I mean, the disconnect is insane because if you look at that $550,000 co-op on a Murray Hill, you know, tunnel block and you run (laughs) the numbers between how much money that person has to make, how much they need in liquid assets, what their profile needs to look like. Absolutely. Who Years can, of employment. Yeah, so who much. can afford to buy yeah. that? And then we we'll need to raise awareness. Well, well the, like one, the one thing point. I will say in its, in its defense is when we had the many uh, housing crises here in New York City and, and across the country – we did not have those foreclosures in Manhattan. No. I have never in my 35 right. years ever sold a foreclosure. No, absolutely. You rarely, rarely see them because <laughs> they had to put so much cash down. Sure. So there's, there's a fine line. People are not underwater. For sure. Right? Absolutely. So that's, there, uh, that's the good But there's thing. co-ops that cut their nose off despite their face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, cut a, we cut one loose um, a couple months ago. and uh, the, It was a 50% down land lease building. The land lease um, didn't have a schedule for increases, but magically jumped uh, 15%. And then the following month jumped in an additional 10% on top of that 15%. Yeah. And uh, the board would not entertain lowering 
the liquidity requirements, the 50% down requirement, they wouldn't table any of that, even though the all the all the prices in the building have dropped. So they didn't care. Mm-hmm. Um, 300 unit building. It's insane. All right, we, ha- we have to leave it there. We'll be back on the other side of the break. We're going to talk about how the new tax reform has affected the marketplace here in New York. We are live from Blast Off Productions. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back with Ann Kapilanane, Sean Atterbury, Sean McPeak, Ari Harkov, and Niall Lundgren. So let's move on to taxes behind. The market uncertainty are several factors, including rising mortgage rates, which have risen uh, rapidly throughout the last several years and continue to climb towards levels similar to the 2008 housing market uh, crash. And also the influence of the federal tax overhaul that gutted property deductions for many, specifically a Republican-backed tax plan passed in 2018 earlier this year, limits the state and local tax deduction, or SALT as it's uh, known, to $10,000, a move that promises to impact, well, it has impact, Uh, New Yorkers in particular, due to the fact that residents claim about $36,000 in itemized deductions a year on average, uh, the highest average for the nation. Wherever there's uncertainty facing the consumer, takes longer to make decisions, which we have been experiencing, and they put the purchase on hold. And this, according to Jonathan Miller, who uh, writes a a market report for Douglas Elliman every uh, month, he says we're starting to see an uptick in would-be buyers camping out in the rental market until they're comfortable. So my question is, what makes them comfortable? The tax reform plan, as it is today, probably isn't going anywhere soon. Uh, the mortgage interest rates are continuing to climb, mm-hmm. although I think they dipped down just a little bit not too long ago. I mean, what's going to make them comfortable, and what are we seeing out there in the buyer market? I was telling Ann before we started the show this morning, out of nowhere, and we talk about this every week on the show, the last two weeks I've been swamped, and deals and, and, and interest and showings have increased, and it's kind of like... What's happening? I mean, we haven't changed anything since the the balance of the year, right? So, what what are are they finally getting frustrated and realizing the reality of these things, the interest rates and the the tax reform, and just saying, well, hell, I got to buy. I just have to do it. People need to live. And the the Fed did say they won't raise rates in 2019. That can have an effect on our interest uh, industry. 
Yeah, I know, but nothing that. is in concrete. So I mean, they true, say true. that, but who knows mm-hmm. if they they're going to stick to that? But right. I mean, it's. I think it's, the, also the full effects of the tax reform. People are finally kind of realizing the math behind it. I think at the beginning was a little bit unclear and vague for a lot of buyers, but now the math is actually pretty clear. But yeah, the rising interest rates have a very meaningful impact on homeownership. And and what we find is many of our buyers are not fully realizing the math until they actually crunch the numbers when they're ready to buy a place. Correct. And you know, so you think about 100 bips, 100 basis points over the course of the last 12 months, give or take, on interest rates. And a million dollar loan is $10,000 a year in interest, which is roughly 800 bucks a month or so. You capitalize that at 5%, that's $200,000 in value. So on a $2 million property, it just shifts the value by 10%. Then you talk about tax reform, the impact there, and all of a sudden, like the, the cost of homeownership in the last 12 months has risen in a very significant way, very significant. And I don't think people fully realize that until they actually sit down, they get in front of Accelerator Calculator, and they run the numbers and say, I want to buy this apartment in this block. Oh my gosh! My payment last year was eleven thousand. Now it's thirteen thousand. That's mm-hmm. humongous. I mean, I I love it if anybody lets me know when you find the answer to what's going to make people come off the. Uh, you know, I the think it's price. I think it's value. I think but, bar but buyers are buying when they see do, value. Do right. prices have to drop to a point where they're going to be comfortable taking on a higher interest rate, or yes. is it? Yes. They do yes. Yes. It's all about the price. Yeah, yeah. it's all about the price. Places that are, aren't reducing are still sitting, right. and will so, continue to. So right. it's not so about the, locking in the lower interest rate now. Negotiate no, no, when they see so enough much. value, they will buy. Exactly, it has to be a wow price, and it doesn't. It doesn't mean to be a. Fi- it, it, sellers are thinking that it's a fire sale. It's mm-hmm. not a fire sale. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're you're purging it. It's the new normal. It's the new market, and the and the sellers and the and their brokers that get them there, that have gotten to the right price, are selling, and mm-hmm. that's why you're seeing it because after six months and after changing brokers and and giving it that time that they had the emotional kind of reach price, um, kind of looking back to what was, the reality of what the market is today, once you get with that, you will sell it. It's not, I've been doing this for 35 years. It's not at like at the time where, you know, Lehman crashed. And that was like musical chairs. You better have hoped you had a chair because everything stopped. That was it. This is a very different market, but there's the expectation that sellers have of what was, it's not anymore. Mm-mm. The prices are off in some cases, 20 or more percent. So brokers also are in denial. We don't share the odd, crazy thing in New York City is that because of co-op board approval, it will take three to four months for the time for us to close a deal. So those, those prices are not public. We have this crazy idea that if we share with our fellow brokers about what we're in contract for, somehow we're putting our deal in jeopardy. I never understood that. What is going on? It drives me mad. So if we know what apartments are going into contract for, we can actually price an apartment properly and give our buyers the right information. I just, you know, and that's so right on. I just had a conversation with someone uh, recently and I said, you're in contract. You're going to close. What is the... I mean, there's board approval. If it's a co-op, they yeah, could, if anyone's they listening right now, and it could share your contract prices. I mean, if somebody calls you and asks, like, I, I just I'm I'm giving a board turn down. Well, no, okay, so they'll it's say a bit of a hedge, right? Well, they'll say, wait, but hold on, but okay, so this is the this is the other side of that from from a dinosaur over here that's been doing this a long time. The reason why we initially did not share those prices is the market was so heated that yeah, if well, I was in, if right. I was in contract for a million 5 and I told mm. you you could actually go to my seller right. and say here's a million 9 right. blow off that first broker risk a lawsuit but I'm going to give this money to you and even though you were in contract with somebody else, even though you were board approval, right. they would sell it to somebody it. else. Rare to happen, yeah. but that's why we I did it. I always thought it was because Absolutely. if you fell out of contract and 
then the other yes. brokers knew the prices. Right. Right. Okay, but yeah, hold on. Yeah. So now you fall out of price. Okay, you you fall out of contract because you've had a board turned down. And let's say you're in contract for two million. Do you think that apartment's going to be selling for two million dollars anymore? It's going to be selling for less. You're certainly not going to get more. Right. So it's right. So it doesn't matter. All it does is put the, it it helps you. I wouldn't say that. If other brokers know, I would disagree with that. But but hold on. If you were in contract for two million and you went to contract and and you, and the board turned you down. Okay. Why do you have to sell it for less? You just put it out there. It was asking two, three, everybody knowing that it could trade for 2 million is going to help you. It's not going to hurt you. That, that I, I, I've been saying that for years and I absolutely agree with that. And this is why if you can get a contract price from somebody, it helps you. Everybody these days are complaining about the comps. We can't get ac- uh, adequate comps. We can't get good comps. If we, because the market has been so strained, if you can get contract prices, right. it helps all of us. Of course, mm-hmm. and that's the only way that we're going to have this logjam of inventory move. Yeah, it helps us. It, it does helps. not hurt us. So, what about uh, Jonathan Miller's comment? We're starting to see an uptick in would-be uh, buyers. Camping out in their rental apartments and saying, eh, I well, mean, are we seeing in our own businesses more people? Well, I have seen a few of my sellers saying or, or buyers saying, you know mm-hmm. what? This is not the time to buy, even though we've declared it a buyer's market for all the reasons we talk about. I'm going to stick with my rental for another year because maybe next year things will be better. Are we? Are you guys seeing a lot more of that or yes. is it just kind of yes. like talk? Yeah, but part of that's being driven by a very soft rental market with a huge amount of oversupply and a lot of building. I mean, and incentives a, like crazy. I mean, there's a reason yeah. Amazon went to Long Island City. There's yeah. 6,300 6, units in the pipeline in Long Island City between now and 2020. Well, Amazon yeah. is a lot of things, but they're not stupid. They know where the housing is. So, you know, if you look at Long Island City, North Northwest Brooklyn, downtown Brooklyn, you have tens of thousands of units in the pipeline in the next you know, couple of years. I think the thesis behind building all these units was correct, but bringing them all to the market at the same time is creating concessions, issues, exactly. vacancy, et cetera. So there is a tipping point where you say it's cheaper for me to rent than to buy. I don't feel comfortable with the geopolitical climate, rising interest rates, what have you. I'm going to wait. And a lot of buyers are making that decision. I also think that if you went out and polled 100 buyers, 99 of them right now would tell you prices are going down in the next six months. Oh, absolutely. And even and, if and, they're wrong, they're right. Percentage numbers by another 20 to 25 percent, we're going to be dropping over the next six months. I'm like, but I don't know, I that's don't know about true. that. It's, it may or may not be true, know, but it's like perception becomes reality. It's perception. Well, yeah. a friend of mine's a bank analyst who did a report on uh, recency thinking. And after the recession and after the crisis that we had a decade recency ago, recency thinking, okay. recency thinking, mm-hmm. we all engage in it and certainly news programs whatever you the he found that there was like a 1200 percent increase in the word crisis and financial crisis looming <laughs> and a theme song and, oh, <laughs> and they play the scary the music and you pay music. Yeah, that is very every hurricane has did, its own music and it was absolutely true the real deal doesn't sell papers and well do they anyway but like unless there's like a crazy headline well, because they the real very news scandalous. They, they is, very scandalous. is boring the yeah, real numbers yeah, is boring sky is falling is exciting you know well, absolutely I've had, I've had two new development buyers in the last 10 days asked me to put in offers like more than 30% off ask on two on upper west side four bedroom oh, and absolutely. a uh, but that's two your, bedroom in soho and, and, all. Absolutely. and some of them are off you know it's the smoking crack price so as I, as, as I went out with no no I, I went through the with somebody crack. and we crack were able to yes. we sold about 12 we, we, we saw about 12 apartments on Saturday and we went through and I said okay that's an example of the smoking crack price but you could see how uh, how how much 
how overpriced it was. But then she quickly saw which ones were priced properly. Mm -hmm. So when people say, okay, what's the average percent off I should offer? Well, it depends on what it's asking. Right? And and comps. And apartments are selling at ask. They are selling at ask or more. I have had two bidding wars. That's right. That, that. You know, because it was priced properly. Some of them are not 30% off. Some no. of them may be 15 or 20% off. Or not. So depending right. on the asking price, that's how you determine. But when the people come in, especially in new development, they say, well, I'm just going to slash 40% off the price. Yeah. Why? Just because yeah. that's what you decide you want to do? Right. It doesn't make any sense. We are so lucky to work in the city that we work in. We because are. Manhattan, we are. you know, even with all of the inventory and the new buildings, there it, we are living in an island and we, we are... Manhattan and we're as bulletproof as it can get and people do need a place to live whether they choose to rent or whether they choose to buy absolutely but you know what you want to be able to decorate and get a place that you want because why do we work we work to to make money in order to buy a home and to live comfortably right. and to buy a and home not have and to, to move be- in two years Correct. 100%. All right. So on the heels of that, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show, there's been since October forty four billion dollars worth of inventory out there in the marketplace. <clears throat> That's October. This is December. So we probably added to that number by another Lord knows what. How are we moving that inventory? And will a lot of that move before the end of the year? I had that question asked to me yesterday. Are we going to be moving like that much inventory? And my answer was no, not at all. But some of it will. And that's think, a big oversupply s- of apartments. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, listings trading hands between brokers. I went on the last yeah. you know week. Yeah. You know, three pitches with ex- with listings that have been on the market for 500 days, oh. and the sellers looking at me saying, "What's what's going what's going on here?" And it's like, "Well, my you're way this? overpriced mm-hmm. for one and two, like staging. Obviously, I think that's a big trend that's going to be important totally. for all listings mm-hmm. um, as we move into so much inventory and more of a competitive landscape for selling." Um, for brokers and and for owners, the, the amount of inventory too. Not a lot of it's ready. Um, I had a ten thirty one exchange buyer a few weeks ago, and there wasn't a terrible amount of things we could lock down for thirty days. Right. Um, in terms of new development, like there's people willing to do discounts, but a lot of it is because they can't close for a while. I did a ten thirty one earlier in the year on, a, on the penthouse over at the Claire for seven and a half million dollars, but that was a very fast deal, and it's kind of like, well, everything else is sitting, and this guy comes in and boom. But if you came, right if, you came well, if you came, he was very close to. Yeah, his that building was is already done, just, though, right? In every right, you have TCO. Yeah, right. TCO. Yeah, TCO. Yeah, but if you look at the last couple of quarters in terms of closed sales data, the transaction volume in the city is down about 15 percent. And so, to Anne's point, if you actually think about the contract signed, what's happening today, we're probably yeah. down twenty or thirty yeah. percent. So, in a city where fifteen thousand sales happen every year, you're talking about three, four thousand less sales at two million a pop. That is six hundred million less in inventory that'll move every year. So there's a seismic shift happening in the amount of inventory that's moving. And then to um, to your point, we have all the shadow inventory from all these new developments that haven't been released. So mm-hmm. the combination of the two is creating this backlog. And much of it is congregated on the high end, and you have a very few number of buyers who can afford those prices. You know, with all of the with all of the kind of the positives and the negatives of this market, what I think is a huge positive is that brokers have to work uh, more uh, in a professional uh, manner. I think that we are working and need to work together. Uh, we need to come together. Um, and we also need to share information and share our struggles. But, you know, we used to be, somebody would call you, you'd get an exclusive. You knew you would sell it in a couple of days. I can only show it to you Tuesdays at high noon while the crow is flying. So now, you know, now we're working together. We're being more flexible. 
We're also saying, hey, listen, you know what? This is what it's going to take. We have to work as as better humans together, but also with our sellers. I know for me, I am used to being the hero. Got you over ask. We're in a bidding war. Now I have to give bad news and I don't really know how to do it. I haven't had to do it. I think so a lot of us we have to work with that. smarter. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And but we I, have to help each other about how we do it. But I think you're absolutely the correct. But there is still, unfortunately, mm-hmm. a, a certain tier of, of agent out there, a broker out there that doesn't subscribe to what you just said and what I agree with. And I think the, the rest of us here, too, if we did work together better, I think we would we'd have a much better market and a, and a, a market that would move maybe a little faster. But, you know, there's always the, the person out there who says, I'm going to do it my way because that's all I know how to do. we got to take a break. Segment four coming up. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Hey everybody, we are back with Ann Cumberland, Sean Atterbury, Sean McPeak, Ari Harkoff, and Niall Lundgren. So, some are attempted to compare the current housing market to the market leading up to the boom and bust that we experienced a decade ago. They look at uh, price appreciation and conclude that we are on a similar trajectory speeding toward another housing crisis. However, there's a major difference between the two markets last decade, while demand was being artificially created by extremely loose lending standards, a tremendous amount of inventory was coming to market to satisfy the demand. There are those who believe that low mortgage rates have created the artificial demand in the current market. They fear if mortgage rates continue to rise, some of the current demand will dry up, which is a possibility. I mean, we touched on this a little while ago. I don't believe that that's, you know, uh, true. I, I I like to believe that if you need to buy, you're going to buy, you're going to work it out. As Ari said before, you're going to do your spreadsheets. If the numbers work, the numbers work. But there are people out there who just look at the news reports and say, well, interest rates are rising, and I don't know about the tax reform, and I don't know about whatever. I cannot buy. What's I think it's, a, it's super important. I know that uh, a wonderful uh, mortgage broker that I work with says even people in finance will come to him and say, okay, I'm looking for a you know $5 million mortgage, and I want a fixed rate loan. Really important, especially as New Yorkers, the average, I think the average time that a person will own is five and a half years in Manhattan, mm-hmm. 
why on earth are you getting a fixed rate loan? So just to, you know, again, I don't want to assume that anybody knows what we're talking about here. A fixed rate loan will always be at a higher rate. Okay. It's, it's locked in for 30 years, but you can get an adjustable rate mortgage. Now to some people's minds, that's where it cuts off. They don't hear anything after that. An arm or an adjustable rate mortgage means that it will be locked in for that period of time. So it's either locked in for five years, seven years, or in 10 years. So why not get a loan that's at a lower rate for a limited period of time, which is a long time, probably far longer than you're going to live there? Exactly. Then you have more buying power. And people need to just understand what mortgages there are out there and also interest-only loans. For those people that have bonuses where they're going to be kind of um, – proactive in terms of paying down when they get those bonuses, an interest-only loan, if the building allows it in a co-op, is also a good way to go. So there's much more buying power. You just have to be creative. I totally agree. And um, we talked about it before. And most people don't stay in their places five or seven years. And if they do, okay, so then they refinance because by then, you know, it'll be different. But today, one of my buyers just got 3.2% seven-year arm. How do you beat that? That's pretty good. That's That's unbelievable. That's That's a great loan. Yeah. It's a great with a with a big bank, so uh, there are options out there. Just be smart about it's it. It's funny. But my dad always used to say when I was buying an apartment, you need a fixed rate. It's got to be a fixed rate. Why would you do anything? What is an adjustable rate? I don't get that. All right, but you know what? It, it, it doesn't it doesn't work in all marketplaces. And I remember my first purchase was seventeen percent interest. Right. And I thought it was you know wow because it used to be twenty. Because <laughs> it used to be twenty. <laughs> That's hilarious. Everything's Everything is relative. Yeah, hilarious. <laughs> right. You know, twenty something years ago. You need to educate yourself. You need to educate yourself and sit down with a very good mortgage right. professional. Absolutely. In New York City real estate, the spring is also uh, oh, often rather seen as the ideal time to buy or sell an apartment. The term spring buyers market exists for a reason as renters and those looking to move on from their current home far out from the winter and hit the market ready to buy come what spring. According to the Bank of America's annual home buyer insight report, 41% of renters surveyed agreed that spring is the best time to buy an apartment. The surprising result, however, is that when Ranking the season, winter comes in second at 24%. I remember when I first started in this business, we had very defined seasons that you didn't list in the summertime, you didn't list over here, you listed between Labor Day and Thanksgiving, then you came back again. Today, it's like everybody lists whenever there's a listing ready to go out, and it doesn't seem to matter. What is the spring market still like the best time to sell or buy in New York City? I think for selling right now, I mean, and you look at this year, the amount of inventory that came on and stayed on uh, through the summer, I, I would I would recommend listing in kind of the off season at this point, mm. um, just because I, I get the hot list from. But what's an uh, off season anymore? I mean, this past summer, you know, was busy. Um, you know, typically between Thanksgiving and Christmas is is slow. The past two or three weeks that I just said between the holidays, mm. I've been slamming busy. I don't get that's it. What, that's what I'm saying is like you'd probably want to go with a non traditional seasonal. Okay. I don't think it's one size fits all. I mean, a property with outdoor space, a different price point, a different neighborhood. I mean, it's depends 100% on the property. Agree. Riverside Drive, yeah, where I you mean, feel like you're going to like be blown into the river. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it depends on the property. That's a good point. But I think there, there's a you clear. You storm coat over there for sure. Right? Um, I, I don't know how people do it. I, mean, I think there's a clear shift, though, as we all um, are much more uh, connected to our phones and our devices, that over time the, the, the seasonal cyclicality flattens out. It's not that it doesn't exist, but it flattens out over right. time. Um, that's clear. There's There's got to be a, a mental portion too of it for when you're buying in the spring like people are everything is new people want to be buying new things changing their 
lifestyle. They might have broke up with somebody moving in, doing this, <laughs> doing that. And there's so many reasons, but the spring, I think, has like a mental Sometimes people are trying to get into yeah. schools. Get it used to be schools. related to schools and kids, yeah. and so buying the spring, close in the summer, ready for September, sort mm-hmm. of school. But that's so, in all the of that stuff. Market. Correct. We don't have to be typically in a, I mean, you have to be in way earlier than that in New York City for the public schools and the private schools. It just doesn't matter. But what I'm seeing is people shopping around with their bonus money. They don't have the bonus money in hand, but they know what it's going to be approximately, right? right? So they are shopping with the bonus money. And also, when you get to December, usually a seller has has been on for a while. They've Mm -hmm. typically put it on maybe in September or maybe even in the spring. They've now had it on for that six exactly. months, and they are ready to sell. And there's less inventory. It starts to peel off, so it's a great time to buy. Um, also, when people stop going away, I, I tend to see that people on those weekends are not around because it's nice out. You've been cooped up during the winter. It starts to be nice, and your shift is outside of the city. You want to get out. And in the winter, people start to spend more time at home, and they're going to wander on over to the open houses. Mm, right. Um, so what, what has been the busiest season so far for all of you? I mean, I think this is 2018 and we're all, we're all not so busy. I mean, that's just the the, the state of the marketplace, but mine right now is right now. Right now. I would say right now. For out of 2018? For 2018. Yeah. We have had a rocket stock market. I had a weird weird August and then right now I'm busy, really busy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Because, because the prices have come down in in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. We had a very busy Q2. Q2. Right. March to July was very busy. Well, me too. Yeah, I did some stuff then, but but middle, nothing. And then all of a sudden, it's 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 kooky crazy again. <laughs> we'll take it. No, you yeah. know, no Whenever it comes, take it. Whenever you know, one it of the comes, things that I'm, yeah. what, that I'm seeing I guess is, that's, the, at that, that's the point of the whole conversation here. Right. It, it doesn't matter anymore <laughs> what used to be or what was. It, it's whenever it comes, mm-hmm. just grab it and you run you got to be it. nimble. So I'm doing open houses now, not putting a set time. I'm doing Saturday and Sunday by appointment only. Saturday and Sunday. So I just post it because it'll show up in the open house Searches. when somebody's looking for an open yeah. house. Yeah. And yes, you have to be more flexible because they'll call and say, can I get it in two or three hours? Mm-hmm. But people are coming in that way versus me sitting there for an hour and a half and them not coming mm-hmm. because I want to be more flexible in terms of being available. Right. But also in terms of that search engine, people will say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and look at that open house because they don't want to be as committed by making an appointment with a broker and kind of touring around. So, hmm. you know, you I've always that gone back and forth owners. about that. I've, I mean, I've, I've, I've had success with the open house by appointment only, um, especially if a listing is stale and not getting any appointments. Sometimes you just throw it out there and people are just more Yeah, I think, I think it's a it. thing of, the, of today because in the past it really didn't work. I think a lot of people, you know, couldn't commit to a time in their head that they wanted to make an appointment. But yet if you gave them a block of here to here – They'd show up, but I yeah. agree. Now it's it seems to be making a lot more sense. We just mm. did that uh, with one place recently. Quickly, we've got a minute left. Predictions for next year. Um, I think the Giants Better are looking worse. really good. Um, <laughs> be, wait, what are we talking about? Madonna will Giants. resolve her lawsuit. Yes, <laughs> she will. There you go. Uh, I think the rental market is going to be pretty hot on the low end next year. Um, just doing a lot of I'm, I'm looking for rentals for for corporations right now and there's not a lot out there in the lower end so i think you're going to see rising rentals and lessening of concessions next year during peak season all right that's it we're out of time that's it for me that's the show today thanks to ann cup Inane for being with us thanks to my panel as always shoot for the moon everyone even if you missed you'll land among the stars and the only person you should try to be better than is the person you were yesterday be kind to one another for all of us at voice america all around the world 
Thanks for joining us, and I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks. Goodbye, Thanks, everybody. Early Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back.